Hello, I'm Andy Hill and I'm Sales Director at Sorted. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Sorted Retail Sessions podcast, where today I'm joined by long-serving retail industry expert Chris Brooke-Carter. Chris is the ex-managing director and editor-in-chief at Retail Week and, of course, now CEO of the Retail Trust. Chris, welcome and thanks for chatting to me today. Hi, Andy. Really great to be here. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Let's jump straight in, Chris, and uh, and um, and start chatting. So, Chris, we hear a lot about retail successes and challenges at a company level at the moment, um, but rarely do we talk about it down at worker level. Uh, so, overall, it'd be interesting to really to get your insight and and understand how people running retail are doing. How are they doing? How are the people on the shop floor? And what is the mood of the retail workforce right now? I think that's a great question. We see so many stories at the moment about the numbers of job losses um, or indeed the fears of, of redundancies going forward as retail faces into possibly the harshest trading environment it's ever known. And I think the problem with those numbers is that um, they very quickly become um, uh, just a mass. And um, we forget that actually each of those uh, job losses, uh, each of those people that we're talking about uh, within the sector as a real person and um, the, the, you know, the fear of redundancy at the moment or indeed there's something like 200,000 people that got made redundant uh, last year, lost their jobs in retail last year, uh, are facing some very difficult times. Uh, we've certainly seen an enormous uh, increase in the numbers of people that are approaching the trust for help, particularly around financial aid and uh, mental health support. I think we handed out about £800,000 worth of financial aid last year. Uh, which is a 125% increase on the year before. And we um, conducted something like 7,000 counselling sessions for people uh, in the industry, um, which again, uh, up uh, around, uh, I think I, I, it was up about 164% the, the number of incoming calls we had uh, uh, for, for help around mental health. So clearly, uh, we are facing into something um, of a health crisis um, within uh, within retail in, in, in the way um, that workers feel at the moment. Now, of course, that picture is not uniform, um, just like um, uh, the numbers sort of blur the, blur the, blur the story around the people. Uh, I think that the overall figures that we see in the papers every day around retail blur the complexity of the picture out there and that there are successes in the industry, um, you know, for every Devonlands and Arcadia, there's a Boohoo and an ASOS who are in a position to acquire those businesses. Um, and, and, and likewise, you know, the people within those businesses compared to those that are in legacy businesses facing uh, more serious consequences from this uh, pandemic are probably feeling very differently as well. Yeah, some incredible stats there, Chris. Uh, some really unfortunate stats as well. Do you think we're over the worst of it, or do you think 2021 is uh, potentially going to present even bigger numbers? Uh, sadly, I don't. I don't think we're over the worst of it. I think um, um, you know we're facing some pretty difficult conditions still. Even once the pandemic's over, um, it'll be interesting to see what what are the habits as uh, consumers and shoppers that we've adopted over the last 12 months that are going to stick. Uh, you know, how how much are we going to go back into the office? How, you know, to what extent are we going to start commuting again? Um, to what extent have the habits around shifting our shopping patterns to online um, are going to mean that, 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 that those trends continue to accelerate and put further pressure 
uh, on high streets and, and legacy retailers. I saw one report uh, from one of the big consultancies a couple of weeks ago to say that those sorts of trends could put at risk another 400,000 jobs over the next few years on the high street. So um, retail is facing a, um, an enormous um, structural uh, change at the moment. And I, I believe we're probably just at the start of it at the moment. Uh, and so uh, the pressures on people uh, around uh, losing their jobs and, and redundancy and, and, and the fears around that are still, are still here. Uh, even in the short term, I think um, what we're not got in the moment is any certainty. Um, we haven't got certainty from the government around how long furlough is going to be extended, for example. We don't really have certainty around what's going on around business rates and needs to be, that needs to be addressed in the long term. So it's just creating a bit of a toxic environment for those people in, in the industry um, that is just compounding um, the anxieties that we're all feeling, I think, from the sort of disconnection uh, that um, the, the COVID crisis has caused. Yeah, sure. It makes it very difficult for anybody to plan their way out of it. Looking forward, though, when the world open, opens up again, have you got any thoughts, any personal thoughts on how we can revive the high street? If you think back to probably last year, 20, early 2020, 2019, the buzzword pre-pandemic was experiential on the high street and in retail. Is that still relevant in the new world? Yeah, I, I've got, um, I'm not uh, one of those people who sort of um, I'm hugely pessimistic about the future. I remain very positive about retail as, a, as an industry. I think that this is a sector that is um, uh, in, at its very core DNA is entrepreneurial, it's innovative, it's, it's very uh, well versed in, in adapting and changing and making sure it remains uh, uh, relevant. Um, I also think that, um, you know, whilst the unemployment figures across the UK are pretty scary, um, we have seen a sort of polarisation uh, in terms of people's finances and there are those people who have uh, remained in employment who um, at the moment because they're not commuting, they're not going on holiday, they're not able to go out and eat and go to pubs and restaurants and stuff who have, um, are in a reasonably strong position financially and my hope would be that as we um, come out of Covid, uh, the crisis, as we come out of lockdown hopefully sort of around Easter time, there will be some pent up demand. I think the other point is here is that um, the other thing we've seen is that in this lockdown, we haven't shut down construction uh, like we did in, in the first one. So hopefully the sort of impact of this 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 lockdown is not going to be as hard as, as the first. So there are some factors that give me some uh, um, um, uh, optimism um, about the future that, that we will see um, a reasonable recovery um, uh, come in towards the end of the year, which I think everyone should be uh, reasonably hopeful for. Um, in terms of what you know, reviving the high street, uh, I, there's there's two, three clear things I think that the, the industry and government needs to assess. The first is that we need some clarity around what's going on around business rates. I think that the uh, business rates holiday has been incredibly welcomed, and actually, um, you know, whether you're a fan of this government or not, um, I think it has responded pretty well with regards to the needs of retail um, over the course of 12 months. But actually, we're now at a point where we need some certainty about what's going to happen in a couple of months. But also, we can't get away from the fact that the business rates holiday is papering over the cracks of the fact that this system just doesn't work. Um, and it is creating a very un unfair playing field between those people that have to pay business rates and, and those that don't. I don't know what the answer is, but um, you know, there hopefully are some cleverer people than me um, in the Treasury who can, who can help sort that out. And I think that um, Helen and the team at the BRC are doing a very good job on campaigning and trying to get change uh, in, in that area. Uh, the second for me would be around um, planning uh, and, and, and loosening uh, some of the planning restrictions so that we can start creating 
some um, uh, more, uh, as you say, experiential um, uh, opportunities within the high streets. You know, people still want to come together. Um, that we can't get away from the fact that what we've seen over the last um, uh, eight months or so during COVID is an acceleration of trends. It's not been the sort of primary trigger of the, of the problems that we've got into with regards to uh, the fact that the industry is overspaced, where there are just too many shops. And that, you know, this sort of rationalization was always on the cards. It's just happened much faster than we might wanted it to have done. Um, but if we can change the high streets, get more residential in there, get more leisure in there, um, make these places uh, interesting places for people to live um, and, and go and visit, then I think we'll start to see the rebirth of, of some local um, retail opportunities as well. So I think those for me will be the two big areas that we, we need to see some reform in. Interesting. And that sounds like a very local um, scenario that you just painted there, mixing the high street with retail and, and residential and, and business. Do you think that that blueprint would work on a on a national, on a kind of metropolitan level in city centres? I think, I think so. Clearly some of, um, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see um, how we return into working patterns um, after lockdown finishes. And as I say, to what extent we're going to commute in. Uh, also, but let's not forget that, that we haven't got any tourism going into the cities at the moment, and that will come back. Um, at at some point, but uh, yeah, creating destinations um, even in the cities is going to be just as important, I think. And um, uh, you know, you can see some of the plans. I saw some plans in, in, uh, of the regeneration of some of the areas of Paris um, in the papers last week. And it's that sort of big thinking that I think we need in our city centres as well, if we're going to get back people back in, in and um, spending money and spending their time in, in there. But clearly. Uh, you know, we are overspaced and, and it's it's not going to be retail, it's not going to be um, uh, the only driver. We've got to get leisure and entertainment and, and residential into these spaces as well. Yeah, I think Paris is leading the way if they um, if yeah. make the Champs-Élysées um, pedestrian and green, which is, I think is a fantastic initiative. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, um, you know, we want, I think we need our, our leaders to think that big as well. Yeah, absolutely. So you touched on before about um, uh, the impact that pandemic is having on on retail workers specifically, and there are lots of developing stories around at the moment about um, pure play online retailers acquiring high street bricks and or typically high street bricks and clicks retailers. Obviously, we've seen um, Boohoo acquire Debenhams this week, and the talk about ASOS acquiring um, Topshop out of uh, administration. Do you think we're likely to see more pure play retailers make similar moves and acquire what traditional high street brands? Uh, I think I think so. Where where that where they make sense in terms of uh, adding value to people's portfolios and um, and the offer that they've got uh, for for their customers. I mean, Boohoo. This isn't the first time Boohoo's um, acquired um, these sorts of brands. And in fact, it's not just um, uh, online only. Is that we've you know we've seen um, other large uh, legacy retailers um, purchasing uh, brands. Martin Spencer bought uh, the Jaeger brand, uh, for example. So. I think what we're definitely going to see is more consolidation um, uh, uh, because you know, cons uh, that's just inevitable uh, at the moment. Um, but I think it, people will be able to pick and choose uh, which brands are going to fit their portfolios, which are going to fit their customer bases as well um, going forward. Yeah, that makes sense. But sadly, the, app, the fallout of that potentially ASOS buying Topshop and, and if they were to turn it in purely into a pure play and, and remove it from the high street, that has a bigger impact on, on workers. So probably a good, a good juncture. So quickly tell me about the Retail Trust and the work that you do. 
Yeah, so it's an incredible uh, organisation, actually. The, the Trust has been around for almost 200 years. We were set up uh, in 1832 by uh, leaders in the, in, in the sector. Um, and even back uh, in those sort of pre-Victorian times, we were, um, the, the, the purpose then was even to promote the happiness and interests of those involved in the trade. So health, happiness and hope of, um, of, of retail colleagues really has always been the cause or the purpose of the Trust for almost 200 years. And we essentially um, still uh, do exactly that. And then we do it in three ways. We work very hard in the space of social mobility. So we're a, a key sort of uh, partner in retail, continuing to champion um, uh, uh, the job opportunities for those from a very diverse socioeconomic backgrounds. And we work um, uh, with training providers to um, uh, identify uh, school leavers, 16 to 24 year olds who who maybe haven't had the opportunities some of the rest of us have had, uh, give them pre-employability in uh, training and, and uh, offer them access to traineeships to get them uh, into, um, into jobs within retail. Uh, we then look after the, the health of those people working in the sector. So, and we do that um, by providing them with financial aid. We're a big believer that um, financial health is a key component of people's overall health and particularly their mental health. Um, and we provide non-repayable grants if people get into financial difficulties. Uh, and we provide access to um, mental and physical um, uh, health services as well. So uh, as I say, we've got a really great team of counsellors. We've got a fantastic team of mental health awareness trainers as well who do work up and down the country with retailers, training people and their leaders how to uh, lead teams in a more mentally healthy way. Um, and then finally, we, um, we run about 500 properties up and down the country uh, where we provide um, uh, ex-retail workers, retired retail workers who need access to good quality social housing or perhaps um, supported living because they uh, are not very well. Uh, and we provide um, um, a great quality, cheap accommodation for uh, around 500 residents in five cities up and down the country. So we're really uh, involved in um, in uh, every, people's lives from the start to the end of their, of their retail careers. They're taking their first step uh, into the sector by providing them with opportunities, uh, looking after their mental and physical and financial health while they're working for us, and then providing them uh, with um, fantastic um, assisted uh, living accommodation uh, when they retire. So yes, it's, it's, it's an extraordinary, um, extraordinary organisation. Um, and um, you know we owe a big debt of gratitude to those people that provide donations with us that are allowing us to do fantastic work because I think in the 200 years that we've been around we've probably never been more relevant than, than we are uh, over the last 12 months. Absolutely, absolutely agree on that statement. Yeah, no, the word I was going to use myself was extraordinary, it's, uh, it's fascinating. You touched on mental health there Chris and uh, you shared with us uh, how the demand for the retail trust has increased significantly in the last year. Have you seen a specific uh, demand for uh, support in mental health areas? Yes, most most definitely. Um, as I say, I think what we've seen is I think we've seen a 164% rise in applications over the last 12 months for our mental health uh, support, uh, and we ran something like 7,000 counselling sessions on the back of that. Um, it's you know it's driven. Um, not only because uh, you know, retail workers have hit, been hit particularly hard financially, um, but actually they've been hit emotionally and, and physically well, as well over the last 12 months because they are coping with incredibly difficult working conditions. Um, you know, there's a fear of redundancy. Uh, people have been, uh, you know, obviously like many people up and down the country subjected to furlough. Shops have been opened, then shut, and then opened, then shut again. 
which is um, creating all sorts of anxiety and challenges for people. Uh, and sadly, we've also seen an increase in the levels of abuse directed at shop workers um, as they've tried to enforce things like queuing and um, uh, and wearing masks in store as well. So it's it's been a very difficult 12 months if, uh, if you've been um, in the sector. I think the positive for me, uh, though, is that what um, uh, this has done over the last 12 months is put mental health uh, in the workplace right at, at the forefront of the debate and the conversation. And, um, you know, as I said, I think we, you know, this is our, our moment. We've never been more relevant. It's given us um, a, a great opportunity to really ensure that people are talking about the importance of mental health uh, at work. And we've been able um, to have a, a good platform to, to reach out to retailers and encourage them, uh, their colleagues um, and their employees to get in touch with us when, when they've needed to. We've, uh, you know, we, we've run a campaign called For the Four, um, with the basis of which is that one in four of us uh, will at some point in our life um, suffer from a, a clinically diagnosed mental health problem, but actually four, four in four, that's every single one of us, will at some point in our life, maybe more than once, face a, a situation where they need help. Um, and the, you know, we're just encouraging everyone to speak more openly and freely about these things uh, to try and drop the stigma around mental health, particularly the link uh, between mental health and, and, and the workplace, um, uh, uh, to come out this the other side with, I think, the opportunity to um, you know, really build back better and, and understand what businesses places um, uh, as we build back not the econ just the economic health of the UK, but actually the public health as well. Incredible. Let me take you back into kind of your old world, if I may, of, of being yeah. a retail expert and, uh, and your old retail weekdays and, and looking at the industry from a kind of a, 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 an above view. Who do you think's done well in, in the last year in the, in the pandemic, not only from a trading perspective, but from a, a social standing in the, in the industry as well? Any retailers that particularly shine out to you? Yes, I think, um, as I say, I think the important thing here is to recognise that um, uh, whilst the sort of overall figures are, um, uh, you know, a difficult read at the moment for, for British retail, it's not been a uniform performance and, and there are um, some real pockets of success. We, you know, there, there are some really uh, great examples of, of businesses that um, have not only, I think, really made sure that they're at the forefront of continuing to ensure that the country is ticking over and obviously you, you know you've named the grocers there and I think I've been particularly uh, impressed in this space uh, by Morrison's and the leadership of uh, David Potts uh, particularly since Christmas um, with you know getting on the front foot around um, the increase in the living wage and the and and the work that they've done around um, insisting that that people wear masks in store uh, so the grocers have done well but actually a lot of the other essential retailers, I think, have, have, have done some incredible work to pivot their businesses very quickly, really, um, and, and create the business models that um, uh, mean that they've been able to uh, trade online successfully, still uh, get goods into the hands of their customers. And, you know, again, here I'm thinking of the, of the likes of B&Q, uh, Pets at Home, Dunelm. Um, there have been, been a whole host of, of businesses, I think, have done in, incredibly well. And as I say, actually, what we have done seen is that while that's been going on, is that there's been a big increase in the number of organisations that have wanted to work with us to make sure that as they go through this extraordinary period of change, they are putting the health of their colleagues um, at the forefront of, of their thinking. Um, and that's been incredibly encouraging and, and something that we really hope um, uh, just becomes habit uh, for everyone in the industry.
Great. I, I too think it's fantastic that the grocers are actually leading this uh, this transformation in the industry as well and, and leading it from the front this time. Yes, that, yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, uh, incredibly challenging circumstances, incredibly challenging uh, um, uh, conditions for them and, their, and, and all of their staff to have to have dealt with. And, um, you know, to have kept things going, to have kept the, the nation fed, you know, there haven't been any supply issues of any note, really. Uh, despite what some of the, the the photos in the papers would have said, I think uh, they've done a great job to to keep the nation fed. Sure. Last question for me, Chris. So Brexit seems has obviously been with us for for, for many many years, oh. and uh, suddenly become a thing in the last uh, in the last month as well. And now we're starting to see some of the headaches in in e-commerce sector creeping out of the woodwork. Any thoughts on on how this is going to impact e-commerce in the UK and in the retail space in the UK? So I think the sadness of this is, is the, the, the things that we seem to be craving at the moment, understandably, in, in whether it's this, whether it's um, uh, around business rates, whether it's when the children will go back to school. I think we're all craving some sense of um, uh, stability and security. And, uh, you know, that what's going on clearly around uh, Brexit at the moment is, is, is creating conditions that are anything but those things. Um, and it's making life very difficult for organisations to plan. Um, and uh, just as I say that the, the call for me on, on government re regarding business rates and what's going to happen uh, over the next couple of months would be let, let's get on the front foot and really create some stability for everybody because this is hard enough to operate a business in uh, anyway. I think the same call for me would be around uh, Brexit is that we just need a sense of security now uh, and an understanding of, of what's really going on because um, clearly this is just um, um, introducing further uh, misunderstanding and further misalignment and, and, and difficulties for people as they're, as they're planning. So um, right at the moment, it's, it, it doesn't feel like a good thing at all. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Chris, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for joining us. We do appreciate it at Sorted and uh, we always enjoy hearing your, your, your years of wisdom. Thank you, Andy. It's been uh, great fun and uh, yeah, please pass on my best to everyone there. I will do. Thanks. That's it for this episode of the Sorted Retail Sessions podcast. We've got loads more awesome guests lined up, so make sure you subscribe and follow to keep up to date. And don't forget, the discussion continues over on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram and Facebook too. Find us at Sorted Official.